Take out your Bibles, if you will, please. And I want you to turn. We're going to get back to the Scripture reading in Luke. But I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, I want you to look at chapter 8 and verse number 14. And today I want to try to speak, and I want to be as sensitive with this subject as I can be, and as respectful with this subject as I can be. And I want to talk a little bit about the tragedy that took place last Sunday, and just tragedies that take place in life. I knew something was wrong when I was sitting in worship service down in Jolton, Tennessee last Sunday morning, and I was getting phone calls around 10 o'clock or so, 10:15, and then after the service, I got a phone call. I didn't really, and people were just leaving me voicemails. I didn't really know what was going on. I'm sitting at church. I couldn't answer my phone. I just felt the vibration, you know, and I'm thinking, I looked at it, and, uh-oh, what's that? What's that? What's that? And then Brother Darrell got a hold of me as soon as worship service was over, and he shared with me the news that it took place with the killing of Pastor Fred Winters at Maryville Baptist Church. Matter of fact, when he said that, when he told me, it just did not register. I said, what? What did you just say? And he told me again. And I'll be honest with you, I was numb. How could that be? How could that happen? In America? In the Midwest? In a very nice community? In a beautiful church? With a thriving church? And a great pastor? How could that happen? And it's troubled me all week long. Matter of fact, you may have received an email from me about 1.30 one morning. I was in my hotel room and I couldn't get it off my mind. And so I just started writing. And trying to put some thoughts together and looking into the Word of God. And that's kind of what I want to share with you today. Tragedy happens. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 14. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this, too, is futile. Let's pray. Father, I need you right now. And God, I stand before our congregation, your church. And God, I don't stand here claiming to have all the answers to the difficult questions in life. I stand here depending on you. And God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and other pastors across the country this morning that are dealing, I know, with this topic. Pray for the visiting pastor at Maryville Baptist Church this morning as he is comforting that congregation. 
given them words of hope that only come from you. God, I ask you to be with them this morning. Father, I pray for Pastor Winter's wife and his kids and his extended family. God, I can't even imagine what they're facing and going through today. Lord, I ask you to be with them. Be with our congregation. Many have sent emails to me about friends and co-workers and people they know that are a part of that ministry. I pray, dear God, that we all would be able to, to reach out and minister to those that are hurting as a result of this tragedy. And Father, I just pray that you would just speak. May your people today hear you. May they not hear me. May they hear you. And God, I'm going to try my best to deliver what I feel you've laid on my heart, what you've given me. And, and I just pray, God, you'd take the words that I'm going to say and minister to our spirits and our souls. And, and God, help us to see what your word has to say about responding to tragedies. God, I pray that you'd do a work that only you could do. And Father, if there's one here today that does not know you in the free pardon of sin, Father, if they do not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today will be the day that they would enter into that relationship. I pray that today that we would all get our hearts and our lives prepared and ready to meet you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Ecclesiastes, and by the way, I covet your prayers today, so please pray for me during this message. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse number 14, notice once again what it says. There is futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve and then he sums it up he says I say that this too is futile what is God's word trying to teach us matter of fact you read the whole context of the scripture and you'll find really this is kind of the climax of that whole content that's taking place there but what is God's word trying to teach us in this particular passage of scripture it's teaching us this principle we do not always get what we deserve. We do not always get what we deserve. You see, the Bible teaches that the world that we live in is not a perfect world. Throw as much money as you want to to the world. It's not going to change it. We live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. That's the world that we exist in. That's the world that we travel in every day. That's the world that we interact with on a daily basis. That's the world that as soon as we wake up and our feet hit the floor and we go out the doors of our house, that's the world we live in. A sin-cursed, falling, fallen world where sin is rampant. And you know what takes place? When sin takes place 
people do wrong things. And when people do wrong things, people suffer as a result of people choosing to do the wrong things. But guys, that's the world we live in today. The message paraphrase, Ecclesiastes 8 and 14, says something like this. Here's something that happens all the time and it makes no sense at all. Good people get what's coming to the wicked and bad people get what's coming to the good. I tell you, this makes no sense. As I said in the email that I wrote out to you at 1 or 1.30 in the morning, earlier this last week, I sent it out. There are two mistakes that we often make in life. A lot of times we think, we think that all the good things that happen to me happen as a result of me being a good person. And we also think all the bad things that happen to me must happen as a result of me being a bad person. And therefore we try to justify the things that come into our life And we look into our own personal life, we say, well, that's why that happened, because I have done this. Or that's why that happened, because I have done that. I get the good things because I live a good life. I get the bad things because I live a bad life. Just let me tell you, that sounds like good reasoning and it sounds like excellent logic. But the mistake that so many people make, they try to take their secular worldview and their logic and their reasoning... And make it applicable to life. But understand that is not a biblical principle. Hello? Ecclesiastes. Bad things are happening to good people. And good things are happening to bad people. So for us to go into life thinking that if I do good things, I'll get good things. If I do bad things, I'll get bad things. That's wrong. Hello? That is wrong. Luke chapter 13 is our text that we'll be springing from this morning. Luke chapter 13 and verses 1 down through verse number 5, the scripture that was read. At that time some people came and they reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. I'm going to skip down to verse number 4. And then they spoke to him about the 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed. God's tragedies are nothing new. Ever since the fall of Adam in the garden, there have been tragedies. Soon after, man broke their relationship with God and their fellowship with God in the garden of Eden. Soon after that, the relationship and fellowship with fellow man was broken when Cain murdered his own brother Abel. Tragic event, would you not say? Tragedies have happened all too often ever since the fall of man. But here are two tragedies that they brought to Jesus. Tragedy number one is the tragedy of the Galileans. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's going on here? Here are Galileans that Pilate is having murdered. He's having them killed. Now granted, you go back and you study the history of that day and you'll understand that Pilate hated the Galileans. 
They were really outside of his jurisdiction. He really had no control over them whatsoever. He really had no authority over them, so to speak. They were outside of his jurisdiction. But any time they would come into his realm, he would have them killed. Mean, horrible man. But a tragic event nonetheless. Then there was an accident that took place. The Bible records that they came up to Jesus and they spoke about these 18 men that were killed because the Tower of Siloam fell on these men and killed them. A tragic event. Now, we can't really find that story anywhere else in the Bible, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It was referenced there. And I believe in the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. It's there for a reason. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, that didn't happen. He just said, hey, unless we all repent, we're all going to perish. So there's two tragedies that took place even in Jesus' day. Tragedy took place last Sunday. And a lot of times whenever tragedies take place, people will say something like this. Well, you got to be careful here, guys. Be careful not to come become a self-righteous, holier-than-thou, always correct, always right, always know the mind of God type person. People often say, well, that just must have been God's will. Guys, that's wrong. Hello? May I ask you a question? Is God's will always done on earth? Well, no. So don't look to someone that's going through a tragedy and try to comfort them with some bogus theology saying that it must be God's will. You can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Matter of fact, you'll find just the contrary, that God's will is not being done on earth. Matter of fact, in the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, which I like to call the Disciples' Prayer, but what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, what do we find in that prayer? Someone tell it to me. That's what I'm looking for. Thy will be done. In that prayer, we're praying and we're asking, God, your will be done on earth as your will is done. In heaven. You see, the Lord Jesus wants us to pray that prayer. He wants us to pray that God's will would be done, which just must simply imply that His will's not being done. If He wants us to pray for His will to be done. Turn in your Bibles. Let me give you a case in point here of what I just shared with you. Turn in your Bibles. You need to get a hold of this verse, Second Peter. Turn with me, if you will, to Second Peter. Keep getting there. You're almost there. I'm moved into a brand new Bible myself, and my pages are sticking together. Second Peter chapter three and verse number nine. Second Peter chapter three and verse number nine. Are you there? You need to get a hold of this verse. Second Peter chapter three and verse number nine. The scripture says. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay. 
but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, let me ask you a few questions about that verse. Number one, what is the will of God according to that verse? Someone talk to me, interact with me here. What's his will? It says it right there at the end of the verse. He doesn't want any to perish, and he wants what? All to come to repentance. Now, he doesn't want any to perish, and he wants everyone to come to repentance. Well, let's probe that a little bit further. That is God's will. None perish, all repent. Let me ask you a question. Do all repent? Do some perish? Yeah. But what is God's will? His will is that none perish, that all repent. He gave His Son Jesus to die on the cross so that all could be saved. Guys, do you realize that the entire world is potentially saved? They have the potential to come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be our God's will. Right? None perish, all come in, to re- or all, all come in, or all repent. That's His will. But we certainly know that in, in the world we live in, with people that you know, you even probably have loved ones or family members or friends or neighbors or whatever that haven't repented. So we see that God's will is not even being done here on this earth. Right? But we're to be praying for God's will to be done. Now, guys, listen. My intent this morning is not to stand before you and act like I've got all the answers because I don't. I've struggled with this all week like I'm sure you've struggled with this all week. I've gone to God's Word and tried to look for answers and and I find some principles and I find some things. But in the end, I realize that Isaiah 55, verse 8 and verse 9 is still very true. And in that particular passage of Scripture, it says that His ways are higher than my ways. And His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And if you try, get this, guys, if you try to understand completely the mind of God, you'll drive yourself crazy. There's no way in the world that an infinite God and all of His knowledge could reside in a finite brain like I have that certainly has its limitations. And you can say amen right there, and I won't be offended. Right? Listen, I don't, want to, I don't even want to serve a God that I'm bigger than that God. Or I understand all there is to know about that God. Hello? Well, if that's the case, I'll just go create a little something that doesn't convict me, that doesn't require anything of me, that makes no commitments, has me to make no commitments, and I'll shine it up real pretty, and I'll set it on the shelf, and I'll dust it off, and when it falls over, I'll pick up the pieces, and I'll put it back together, and then I'll, I'll dust it off, and I'll, I don't want a God like that. I want a God that picks me up when I fall down. I want a God that cleanses me when I get dirty. I want a God that puts me back together when I'm falling apart. Hello? That's the kind of God that I want to serve. And that's the kind of God that we do serve. But I want to share with you, and I'm going to hit these rather quickly, I promise you. But I just want to try to share with you five principles. And these are five principles that will help us learn how to respond to a tragedy. 
I'm not saying you take these five vitamins and you walk away and everything's going to be okay and, and, and you'll, everything will be okay by 2 o'clock. This, that's not what I'm saying. But these are some principles that will help us. Number one, jot this down if you will, please. Whenever we are dealing with a tragedy, whenever we're going through a difficult time like our community is going through now, I still, I can't even believe we're talking about this. It just blows me away. It's not supposed to happen. But whenever we deal with a tragedy such as this, number one, what should we do? Release our griefs. Release your grief. Release it. Don't ever walk up to someone and say, oh, don't cry. Stop crying. God's in control of it all. Just don't don't cry. That is horrible counsel. That is horrible counsel. You see, that is some ways that, that's a God-given emotion that, that we are to feel. And we need to get to the point in our life when we do have a moment, when we can release our grief. It, I want you to hear this, it is okay to cry. Nothing wrong with that. Hello? Nothing wrong with weeping and crying. I wonder, last week when you heard the news, and I think you guys even brought it to the church here in the service, I believe. Did you? Last Sunday, that's the word I got back. And, and shared it with the congregation. And I wonder, what, what was your response? What were you feeling there? You see, tragedy always creates strong emotions. It always does. What? I went numb. And then I told Debbie what happened. And I don't, I don't, what? Whew. How do you deal with that? All the emotions that, that just instantly start coming through you. What were some of the emotions that you had? Numbness? Maybe you were sad, of course, saddened. Maybe you got angry. You know, there was a time I got angry. That's not right. I mean, all these different emotions. But guys, we've got to release our grief. And get this, guys. If you don't deal with your feelings, and if you don't deal with your emotions, the recovery process is going to take an extremely, extremely long time. It may even take a lifetime anyway. You may never completely recover from some tragedies. But in order to be able to deal with the tragedies, you've got to be able to release your griefs. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 4. He said, Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. What a promise. You see, He doesn't say they might be He doesn't say you have a great chance that you will be comforted. He said you will be comforted when you mourn. And that word blessed, it means happy indeed. It's a double positive in the Greek. It's emphasized twice. It just means pay attention. There's a double positive. Happy, happy, happy indeed. And go on. They want you to emphasize the positive that will take place when we do what? When we mourn. When we release our grief. So guys, I want to encourage you. To know that it is okay to grieve. Face your feelings. Don't repress them. Don't stuff them back in a little closet somewhere deep in your soul and ignore it and act like it's not there. Now, that's just, I'm just talking specifically about the tragedy last week, but there may be other tragedies in your life. Maybe you haven't even dealt with them. Hello? 
It may be a death of a sibling. It may be a death of a child. It may be a death of a parent. It may be a divorce that you've gone through. I mean, there are all different types of tragic events that take place. And this right here, I think, applies to every single one of them. You can't stuff them away and ignore them. You've got to deal with them. You've got to face them. And you've got to allow the grieving process to take place. You see, that's what our God that's so much bigger than us, that's what He's instilled in us. And He's given us that process to be able to deal with the issues of life. Psalm 46 and verse number 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. I'm here to tell you today that we've got a promise from our Lord that He says, I will comfort you. When you mourn, I will comfort you. And there's a God that says, hey, I'm ready for your tragedy. Let me know. I'm here to comfort you. Okay? Second thing I want you to understand is that we need to, or what we need to do is receive from others. Number two, write that down. Receive from others. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2 says this. It says, carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You see, whenever you're going through a tragedy, the greatest mistake that you could ever make is to isolate yourself. That's not God's plan. I mean, He's got some principles that are already laid out for us. And as we're dealing with a tragedy, you know what we need? We need to receive from others. And Galatians 6 says, carry one another's burdens. And whenever we're carrying one, carrying one another's burdens, the Bible says that we are fulfilling the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Victory Church should know this. What is the law of Christ? What's he talking about? Does anybody know? There it is. The man came up to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the whole scripture? He said, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the second? And he said, the second is locking to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, whenever you pour love into your neighbor, whenever you pour love into your coworker, whenever you pour love into your, into your family and spouse and, and, and those in the workplace or those that may be going through a tragedy, you know what you're doing? You are fulfilling the law of Christ. And the Bible says for us to carry one another's burdens, to come alongside the individuals that are grieving. So you need to receive from those people that God brings into your life to help you go through that tragic event. And when we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. The point is, just don't isolate yourself. Guys, that's why I'm so adamant that everybody be part of a church family. You see, I believe in the local church. That's why I wore my jersey today. My life is all about God's church. It's what it's all about. I've given my life for that. Not to the extent that Jesus did, but I've given Him every ounce of myself to be used up in His kingdom work, in His church. And guys, listen, God's never called you to be a lone ranger. He's never called you to live your life in an isolated position or state of mind. He wants you to connect. And guys, the best place that you can do whenever you go through a tragedy is be, in, be a part of a church family and have a group of believers that you've connected with. Hopefully and prayerfully, some of that's starting to take place with our adult Sunday school. And we want you as a Sunday school class to grow closer together so that you can help each other through the tragic events that will come in life. And you need to receive from each other. Number three, jot this one down. 
You need to refuse to be bitter. Refuse to be bitter. Job 21 and verse number 25 says, Yet another person dies with a bitter soul, having never tasted prosperity. The blessed life. The blessings of the Lord. They've died with a bitter soul. Yet another person dies with a bitter soul. And God's tragedies oftentimes have a way of turning us into very bitter people. Don't allow that to happen. If you deal with these things properly, and by the way, there's no easy way of dealing with them. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying it'll be over and done with. You'll be past it by 6 o'clock this evening or, or next week this time. Some people would never, some people really never, ever, ever overcome this tragic event. I've tried to imagine myself sitting in a worship service and seeing my pastor gunned down. I tried to put my, I couldn't put myself there. I, I can't even fathom that. But can you imagine what those people are facing, the, the images that are burned into their mind? They'll probably never overcome it. Only by the grace of God will they be able, able to go on and function to see such a tragic event. I mean, I just, I can't handle, don't come to me. If you got a splinter, don't come to me. I can't pull it out. Don't show me blood. I, I can't deal with things. I'm just not real good at that. I couldn't even imagine sitting in a congregation and witnessing what they saw last week. But they're going to have to refuse to allow that to turn them into bitter people. And we are going to have to refuse to allow that to turn us into bitter people. I'm reminded about the story, and I don't have time to belabor this point. But a great story that you need to read over in Genesis chapter 33. And I went there and read that this week. And it's the story of Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's the trickster. Esau's the older brother. And Jacob stole, really, tricked him, manipulated him out of his birthright and his blessings. Well, the years passed. And in Genesis 33, we see the reuniting of these two brothers. Now we find Jacob a little bit scared to see his brother Esau. He's not real sure how Esau is going to treat him. Matter of fact, he's probably going to kill him. That's what Jacob's thinking. But through the years, Esau had learned to be content with the things that he had. And he allowed God to work in and through his heart and his life in spite of what took place. And here comes Jacob the trickster and Matter of fact, you read the whole story, and Jacob goes to the back of the pack, man. He, he's, he's not even in the front. He don't want to be the first one to see Esau. I, I want to see what they do to you. Will you go? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we're talking about a leader. That's an awesome leader, is it not? Horrible leadership. But finally, he sees Esau. And you know what the Bible says? Esau fell on him and embraced him and kissed him, and his brother was back. What did Esau do? He refused to let that act of manipulation and tricking him out of his birthright and out of his blessing, he refused to allow that to make him a bitter person. And guys, I've seen bitter people. You've seen bitter people. We've been around bitter people. And there's something that took place where they were wronged in their life and they've never gotten over it. But Esau said, 
somewhat in a way. He says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm just going to serve him. And he got to the place where he, he was just content with the situation and where he, where, where he was. And guys, we've got to do that. We've just got to say, okay, God, I'm going to serve you. Help me to be a better person and not a bitter person. I don't understand all these things, and we may never have answers to all these things. But I'm just going to serve you. And don't let this tear me down and make me a bitter person. You'll be a miserable individual if you allow this to make you a bitter person. Number four, jot this one down. Remember what's important. Remember what's important. When tragedies come, it's then that we're forced to stop, to slow down, to evaluate our lives, to look around, to push the pause button. How sad it takes a tragedy to get us to the place where we stop and slow down and look around. But guys, we need to remember what is important. Well, what is important? Well, first and foremost, your relationship with the Lord. That's the most important thing in life. Be prepared to meet God. Remember what is important. God. Number two, family. Remember your family is important. Hello? Life. How you treat other people. It's important. Remember what is important. You see, guys, uh, understand this. Men, husbands, when your wife walks out that door in the morning, there's no guarantee she's coming back home that day. Wives, when your husband walks out that door in the morning, there's no guarantee he's coming back home that day. When your kids leave to go to school, there's no guarantee they're coming back home that day. Why do we live like it? Why do we, why do we say hateful things? Why do we hurt each other? Why do we live in a house of turmoil? Why is there anger and bitterness and harsh words being said? When that person walks out of your presence, there is no guarantee they'll ever walk back into your presence. You see, when Pastor Winters got up last Sunday morning, no doubt, he probably had lunch plans planned with maybe someone in the church or with his family or with his kids. Hello? I remember a few weeks ago, my wife got up, went to work, kissed her goodbye. She walked out the door. She called me about lunchtime. We talked on the phone. Five minutes later, I get a call from the teachers there, the principal. Come get her. She is sick. She needs to go to the emergency room. And then she's in the hospital. I just spoke, the, the words I told them when they called me. I just spoke with her five minutes ago. She was fine. But now she was in this immense pain with this kidney stone and was in the hospital for it. The point is, guys, when tragedies come, unfortunately, it's then that we stop and remember what's important. But remember what's important. Our relationship with the Lord. Our families. Other people. You see, life's really all about people. It's not about your career. It's not about how nice of a car you drive. It's not about bigger and better homes. Hello? That's so shallow. And if you're living life just for an income or a big figure and stuff, you're a shallow person. You're shallow. Hello? 
Life is so much more important than that. Life is about a relationship with God. And life is about a relationship with one another. That's what Jesus said. So how are you doing there in your relationships? With your spouse? With your children? With your parents? Maybe with your grandchildren? With your workers? Co-workers? With your boss? With your neighbor? How are those relationships? Because, guys, that's what's really important. And number five, last one, write this down. Rely on the Lord. God is our refuge and strength. I've already read this passage to you. A helper is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple in the depths of the sea, though its water roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil, yet there is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. You see, He is our strong tower. Rely on the Lord. Lean on Him. And I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you the heart of God is broken over what took place last week. That is not His will. And it almost makes me angry. I've seen newspaper articles. I've seen blogs. I've seen things that people have written about this. And it makes me angry when I see people say, that's just God's will, deal with it. That's wrong. His heart is broken. He's weeping and crying because you know what, guys? The greatest blessing that God gave us, the greatest blessing that He gave us was a blessing to choose from right and wrong. And that started before the fall. That started when He created Adam, had him in the garden. Eat of all of this, but don't eat of this. He gave him a choice. People have asked me since then, maybe they've asked you, could God have stopped that gunman from walking down the aisle of the church at Maryville Baptist and stop him and strike him dead or whatever right there in, in the aisle and make him not kill that pastor? And the answer is plainly yes. God can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. Hello? And he don't have to ask me or you if it's okay. He can do whatever he wants to do. But get this. If God would have stopped that man that morning, you know what he would have had to have done? He would have had to remove from him the greatest blessing that he's given mankind. And that's the ability to choose. He would have had to take from him his own free will to choose and make a decision about what he's going to do. And get this, if he would have removed it from this man to be a just, right, perfect, holy God, he would have had removed it from everyone. So none of us now have the ability to choose anything. We do exactly what God says, which by the way, if God wanted to create mankind in that way, He could have. But He chose not to. Why? Because He desires for you to worship Him with all of your heart and your soul and your spirit and your strength. He wants you to choose Him. You see, you can't make someone love you. They can choose to love you. 
And that's why when people come to me counsel, well, I just don't love them. And we've just fallen out of love. No, you haven't. You've chosen not to love them. Hello? God's the same way. And God's heart must have broke that morning when he saw what this man was choosing to do. I wonder about you this morning. What are your choices? What are the choices that you're making? First of all, with Christ. You see, he's done everything he's going to do. And he's revealed all he's going to reveal. He's given his son to die on the cross. That's it. The work at Calvary, Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. It's over. Don't wait on him to do anything else. That's it. Hello? It is finished. Now, the decision is yours. What have you done with Christ? What are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with the gospel? Have you accepted Christ? Well, no, I'm just... No, the answer is, have you? No, well, Jesus said, unless you repent, you're going to perish too. Now, my will is for none of you to perish. My will is for all to repent. But unfortunately, people don't do that because of their free will. They don't choose God. And Jesus said, if you don't choose me, you're going you're gonna to perish. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. All. It don't matter what your social status is. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter who your mom and daddy is. doesn't matter how much good works or good things you may have done. doesn't matter how good a person you think you are. Matter of fact, line up all of your great, wonderful, good deeds, all the things that you have done that you think are probably pretty honorable, and, and write them all on a piece of paper, all those wonderful good things that you have done, and lay them before the Lord. When you do, you probably quote that Old Testament passage of Scripture where he says, all of your righteousness in my sight is as filthy rags. You can't live good enough to get to heaven. None of us can. The only way you'll get there is when you choose to believe in the finished work of the cross. You choose to repent of your sins. You choose to accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. You choose to invite him into your life so that you may follow him the rest of your days. That's when you become a Christian. That's when you'll get the guarantee of heaven. What have you done? I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. There's so much more that could be said on this topic. And I'm not here to explain sufferings and why bad things happen to good people. I don't, re- I don't have the answers for all of that. But I do know that we live in a sin-cursed world. And I do know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. And I do know that He is here this morning. And He invites you to choose Him. Have you done that? Oftentimes in a tragedy, it makes us slow down. It makes us evaluate. It makes us look at our life. Guys, there's no guarantee you'll get home today no guarantee of that there's no guarantee you'll face tomorrow there's no guarantee you'll go to work tomorrow or to school or whatever all you have is the now what are you doing with it have you accepted Christ I wonder right now as every head is bowed and every eye is closed I want to help you this morning if you're here today you're not in good standings with Christ you know in your heart and in your life that if you were to die right now 
that you'd miss heaven and you'd spend an eternity in the devil's hell. I wonder right now, why don't you choose Jesus? Why don't you give him your life? Just, here's how you do it. Number one, just admit that you're a sinner. We all do that. I've done that. Many in this auditorium have done that. Admit that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you. Believe on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross, that He was buried. He rose again victoriously the third day. And then live for Him. Father, right now, possibly there's someone praying. They're seeking You in the area of salvation. God, I pray that today that they would receive you as their Lord and Savior. And God, if they're here, I want to help them right now. If this is you, why don't you pray a prayer like this? Just say, dear God, I realize I've sinned. I invite you into my heart. Forgive me. I repent of my sins. I believe what you did on the cross was for me. I believe you died, you were buried, you rose again. You are the Son of God. God, I give you my life. I want to walk before you.